<laughs> a history of comedy. It's Chats. A history of comedy. Come and have a rummage in the archive. A history of comedy. It's Chats. A history of comedy. Come and have a rummage in the archive. Hello and welcome to A History of Comedy and Several Objects, a podcast from the University of Kent growing out of the British Stand-Up Comedy Archive, which exists to preserve various different crazy objects that relate to the history of British stand-up comedy. I'm Oliver Double and this is my colleague Elspeth Miller and we are very much the Peters and Lee of comedy archiving. Do you know who that no, is? No, I don't. <laughs> Peters and Lee were a terrible 1970s male-female singing act. Okay. He had dark glasses. She was long blonde hair lady, like straight long blonde hair, very 1970s. And the way that he had these big heavy dark glasses on always made it look like he was blind, but I'm not actually sure he was. Okay. So, yeah, slightly weird I'll, reference. I'll Google them later. Right? Yeah, everybody should be Googling Peters and Lee right now. <laughs> Okay, so uh, every episode of this podcast centres on a particular item from the archive and we're going to discuss that and sort of actively interpret it to try and work out what it can tell us about the nature of stand-up comedy. So, Elspeth, what have we got today? So today we are focusing on two flyers um, which we received from Nick Tokshek. Nick is a poet and writer um, and he's given us um, kind of a folder of material, mainly mainly flyers to do with cabaret, alternative cabaret clubs that he ran in Bradford in kind of the 1980s into the 1990s. So the two flyers that we're looking at today are from the Cracker Comedy Cabaret, uh, one's from 94 and one's from 95 and they both feature a certain stand-up comedian oh, really? academic. Oh, really? Who's that then? <laughs> that would be uh, this person called Roger Monkhouse and John Harrison. No, Oliver Double. <laughs> the excellent he's you described you good as. There. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I should just say uh, briefly a bit about Nick. He's a very interesting guy. He was a sort of ranting poet, mm-hmm. uh, part of the sort of ranting poetry movement that came out of punk, but also intersected with alternative cabaret, as it was called then, what we probably now think of as alternative comedy so he would have uh, been a kind of contemporary of people like Attila the Stockbroker in addition to that you know since moving on from programming comedy and performing poetry he has you know got this very good reputation as a poet he does children's poems and does readings in schools and things like that. He's got some sort of best-selling um, anthologies of his poems. I've got one at home. It's about mm-hmm. dragons. What's not to like? <laughs> but he's also uh, a guy who's politically involved as well, and he's, he's written factual stuff on, for example, the far right, because he is a uh, you know, uh, sort of anarchist, essentially, from, from the left of the political spectrum. So he sort of has his eyes firmly on, on the enemy, as it were. So, you know, a guy with lots of different aspects to him. And um, this, um, these flyers are kind of really interesting, I think, because they're a, a window into the early provincial alternative comedy scene. And I think what's important to say is that uh, the, the alternative cabaret or alternative comedy was very much a metropolitan thing at first. It, it started in London, and although it, it started um, you know, spreading its tentacles outwards to places like Brighton quite early on, and some of the early performers also toured nationally, it, it was quite a while before other sit- towns and cities started to get their own 
venues and I think Nick was important as, as one of the people that promoted it and made it grow beyond London and I think if we look at these flyers you know we, we can see that it's quite interesting the variety of people they've got on there. And these are from 94 and 95 so actually a bit later than that early alternative cabaret. Yeah, I think we have some early earlier do, flyers yeah. from The earliest here. we have is from 1986. So I think that's... I know you mentioned that he was involved in kind of the punk scene. I think he put on kind of more music gigs and then moved into the cabaret circuit from what I've, what I've read. So I don't know if this was kind of... He was starting in 86 with the, with the cabaret. Um, the cabaret nights that he was putting on. And that's called? So this first one in 86, well the first that we have a flyer for, is Stereo Graffiti. Stereo Graffiti. Um, and they were kind of all headed as an alternative cabaret. Right. So there's that kind of similar theme from London coming in, that alternative cabaret, cabaret, the use of cabaret. Yeah, the word cabaret indicating mm. it's not just a bunch of comics one after no. the other. Alternative cabaret is a quite a problematic term in, in one sense, in that it's a generic term, it refers to this style of entertainment, but it's also a specific term, like a proper noun, mm. because it also re relates to a particular group set up by Tony Allen featuring Andy Delator and Pauline Melville and Jim Barclay and various others. This obviously is being used in the generic sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and going back to that kind of that cabaret, and it's not you were saying about the '90s flies that we were looking at. When you go back to the the flies from the '80s, I mean, it's not really comedy at all in the so sense that we might think. Do you, do you want to take so, us through a bill, say, from the early '80s? So the first that we've got, so 1986, you've got Little Brother, who's a kind of poet comedian. Al Beach, who's a performance artist. Douge. Douge. That's D O O J. <laughs> Kind of musician, apparently they are theatrical, have theatrical e eccentricity and quirky humour. Then you've got Wild Willie Beckett, who kind of co-ran these nights with Nick. Another poet, Nick was performing, a poet, um, and a DJ. So actually, in that that first flight that we've got, you've got kind of one half comedian poet. Yeah. Um, so it's very much like cabaret. Yeah, cool. can, you have, can you have a look at that one you just yeah. picked up? Okay, so this is... Do we have a date for this one? That'll be 86. 86. So this is 86. So actually this is quite interesting. So you've got the first one, for example, I don't know who all the acts are, but um, Sunday, October the 5th, uh, Kevin Cissé was a great act. He was from uh, Manchester. Um, I think he was from Salford specifically. And he was kind of like, um, I mean, he was, his, his uh, ancestry was African. He had a brilliant joke, actually, uh, fantastic. He was quite dark-skinned and had a sort of skinhead haircut. And he, and he talked in a proper northern bloke voice. And uh, he did a brilliant joke where he'd come on with a sticking plaster on his forehead, which, of course, was pink. And he'd say, these flesh-coloured sticking plasters are a marvel, aren't they? Completely invisible. And it's a really great joke about racism but then his singing he was like a sort of northern acoustic billy bragg albeit perhaps with more jokes in the songs the songs were great and he and in between the songs he had kind of deadpan patter like like a comedian like a stand-up comedian uh which was really really funny um you've also got seething wells who was a, a skinhead poet um you got levi tafari not sure what he did um 
And you've got like, this is a weird one. You've got um, Time and Dog and the Frugivore. Time and Dog was a sort of singer um, who started in the 60s. He was, he was a mate of Joe Strummer from The Clash. And uh, in fact, he, he does a guest vocal on The Clash's album, Sandinista. I think he was also a member of Joe Strummer's final band, Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros. Um, and then you've got Pat Condell, who st- I think st- might have started as a poet, but was a comedian. Oh, he, well, this was two leading poet performers. So Pat Condell and Ginger John, two, two poets. So, yeah, the, you're looking at this, and again, there isn't really anybody I can recognise here who's a straightforward stand-up comedian. But comparing that to the kind of the, the tea flies from the 90s that we were looking at earlier, it's changed much more. Actually, it's called a... This one's called a comedy cabaret... And then the one from 95 is just straight comedy now. But there's much more comedians on the bill now, isn't there? There's still that mix, though. There's still some poets. Obviously, Attila Stockbroker. You've got John Cooper Clark. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you look at these, right, so this is the 94 one, isn't mm, it? Yeah. So you've got Mary Unfaithful, who was a sort of comic singer and comedian. So she did stand-up, but with songs as well. Uh, you've got Neil Gatquin who was a straight stand-up, I used to know him, he's from Sheffield, uh, and Alison Ross, also from Sheffield, she, you know, I used to know her, she wrote a book about language of comedy. Um, so yeah, out, out of those, out of that bill of three people, two of them are straight stand-ups and one's a, a sort of stand-up with, with song. Um, and then, looking at the one I'm on, you've got, that's all stand-ups, so Dave Clark was a kind of fairly deadpan comic with a sort of slightly surreal edge um, I remember he did a, a gag about which referenced a particular breed of bird and I can't remember, Chaffinch I think it was um, and then John Harrison who was a sort of fairly straight stand up from, from Sheffield and then there's me, I, I, actually I wasn't a straight stand up, I, I did bits of sort of sight gags and I did a song on mandolin so yeah, even there there is a little bit of variety, I think. What I find quite interesting about this one in particular and the, the later one as well, Little, is their kind of their origin, in a way, is kind of noted. So you've got leading London stand-up, two excellent Sheffield stand-ups, Bradford's Unique, also from Sheffield, which is quite interesting. Is that to sort of show the range of performers that he was getting? Or? I think that's a very interesting thing you picked up on there, actually, because in a way, that's the descendant of the music hall. In music hall, uh, acts would have a little bit of blurb that would go, a tiny bit, a couple of words, that would go under their name or above their name on the poster. It was called Bill Matter, and the act was um, contractually obliged to supply that to the theatre chain. So, for example, Max Miller was the cheeky chappy. Mm-hmm. And I think the idea of it is it's a basic sort of sales technique. You want to tell the audience, you want to give them an idea of what they're going to get. And I know that when we ran comedy um, in Sheffield, we used to run a club called The Last Laugh, which is actually still going, although I haven't been directly involved since 1997. We would always try and think of a couple of words to say about each act to just kind of key the audience into who they're going to see or who they're going to hear okay. speaking. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really important. And I think while we're talking about the layout of things, do you want to describe what these look like? Uh, yeah, they're, um, they're kind of... They look they're hand-drawn, in effect, aren't they? I mean, yeah. there's, not much, there's not any pictures on them as such, but they're hand-written, um, kind of 
kind of big chunky writing in places, draw, hand-drawn logo, everything's like the writing is really quite small. Everything's like there's no space kind of left. Um, if you look at kind of the later, the later flyer, you've kind of got, he's curved the writing all around. He's kind of using all the space available. Um, but it's still quite clear to read. Yeah, it's got, it's kind of got a fanzine look mm. about it. It's definitely a sort of DIY punk ethos. I think now people would have a bit more of a sort of professional look, but this is very kind of raw and homemade. Um, I mean, on this one, he's separated each night because there's something like eight shows on there, and he hasn't even used a ruler mm. to delineate between where one finishes and the next one begins he's just it's just a line quite a scribbly line as well um and uh the, yeah he hasn't tried to make a kind of uniform font either from from his handwriting it's it's very very deliberately varied in fact it looks like he uses different pens and then there's things like clouds drawn around some things and lightning and sort of you know star shape uh, around it uh, I, I actually find them very attractive i find the busyness the visual busyness of it quite cool and they're they're printed on pink paper just one-sided and um, I'm guessing they probably be offset litho printed which means it's just a single color and it's not even half tone it's just black on pink and I think as well uh, another thing that kind of springs out at you when you look at these is that um, there are names in there that you'd know mm. right so, is there anybody there that, that jumps out at you? Ross Noble. Ross Noble, there you go. So, yeah. so um, Saturday the 15th of October, 94. And again in 95 in July. Yeah. Others for me, like Lucy Porter. Yeah. I recognise. And then from that kind of poet angle, John Cooper Clark. Yeah, yeah, so there's, it's interesting because among loads of names you probably haven't heard, including mine, you know, in amongst them you've got people who uh, are, are, have gone on to be very successful. I mean, it's interesting as well for me because I look back at this and I kind of think some of these people are actually, like, were really great acts and you'd have expected them to go on, if there were any justice in the world, to kind of become well-known. So Tony Burgess, for example, was a great uh, stand-up from Manchester. He's sort of a proper Manchester stand-up, you know, you know, proper kind of Happy Mondays, you know, Oasis. And uh, But he was really smart guy, like very clever, and the material was great and, you know, kind of quite daring at times, like talking about the BNP and things like this. Um, and similarly, uh, I would pick out Rory Motion, was a fantastic act. He was a bloke from uh, North Yorkshire, um, and he was a sort of Yorkshire hippie. He was called Andy, really, but um, he, he used to do that. That was the concept of the act. He was a Yorkshire hippie, so he'd talk about playing a Fender Doncaster guitar and things. And uh, he would say things like, uh, my dad used to think that fish and chips were a deeply symbolic dish. The fish represented the Piscean age, and the chips were to fill you up. <laughs> you know, it's just... And he used to have... He used to do songs. He used to do patter. He used to have a dog that he'd made a dog puppet, you know, that came out, visual gags, all kinds of crazy stuff, all kind of um, brought together by this delightful, gentle persona. So, yeah, it, it's... Um, it's a real kind of snapshot of what was going on then. Um, I mean, these aren't the only artefacts we have to do with the provincial 
alternative comedy scene, are they? No, I mean, we actually, you contacted Nick to get this material because it featured in Linda Smith's collection, if you remember. Yeah. So we had some flyers in her collection. So obviously within comedians' um, own archive, particularly Linda Smith and the bigger bigger collections, we do have various flyers from all around the country. Um, but we've also been lucky, Buddy Hell or Ray Campbell has given us material um, from his comedy clubs that he co-ran up in Newcastle um, in the 90s. So places like Cabaret Agogo, yep. which I remember well. I mean, it was quite interesting, you know, being part of this sort of northern or provincial alternative comedy scene because you, you were one of a few. You got to know everybody else who was around. It's not like these people didn't go to London to play, but like I knew Ross Noble quite well. I first saw him perform when he was about 16. He came to play our club in Sheffield. Henry Normal, who's now a very successful comedy TV producer, was a fantastic act. He did a kind of deadpan comedy poet act. Um, and, and you kind of got to know everybody, but also you got to know, it was almost like, I remember talking to Ross about this once, and he said it was almost like we were, we were the comedy equivalent of the Galapagos Islands, where there'd been a separate evolution, you know, but it was a very small ecosystem. So Sheffield had a bunch of acts who all knew each other. Manchester had a, a, probably the best one outside of London, you know, a bunch of acts who knew each other. Um, Glasgow and Edinburgh had scenes, you know, um, I think there was a scene in Bristol um, and various places around, you know, you'd, you'd be aware of these people. The North East was a really good scene. And you'd start to do exchanges, so you'd get them down to do gigs for you, they would get you up there to do gigs for them. And there, there, was, there was a different sort of tone and, and spirit in each scene, so it was, it was quite interesting from that point of view. Mm. And certainly I felt, I mean, it was perhaps I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder, but I felt it was important that we had a different um, identity from London. Because obviously we get a lot of London acts coming up to play in our area. And the thing that really used to annoy me is when they used to do gags about the Northern Line. And you'd think, well, yeah, that's if you live in London, though. You know, why are we supposed to find that funny? We don't live in London, we live in Sheffield. Um, uh, in addition to that, I mean, I think it's worth saying that... Uh, we have recordings that I've donated from when I used to, because I'm involved in this scene directly, not just as a performer, but also you know, running this club in Sheffield, or more than one club in fact, uh, Last Laugh Comedy Club and various other clubs with different names. And um, uh, when I was comparing that, I've, not for the whole run of the five years I was doing that, but, but for at least three of those years I was recording myself regularly and those cassettes sit in the archive. And to give a flavour of what um, alternative comedy in the provinces was like in the 90s, I've got a recording here made in 1996 of me comparing at the last laugh in Sheffield in a little pub called the Lescar in an area called Hunter's Bar. And what you hear here is me starting the show. And what you've got to do as a compare is take an audience, which is just a bunch of people in a pub room, and, and, and sort of make them move from being a, a series of different tables made up of individuals and groups and you know unite them as an audience and this is what you're going to hear me doing now using more than just ordinary stand-up comedy technique there is a prop involved edit Start the daily show is to get the sort of fun rolling to get everything feeling good, good, good. 
why I thought we'd try to do is try to recreate the experience of the David Letterman show. Does everybody know this? The American Mental Talk Show. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, yes, no, yes. Yes, yes, broadly. Well, basically, no. For those people who are shouting rather aggressively, no, out there. Basically, what it is, it's an American talk show. And what happens is, David Letterman comes out, he's a cult hero with the kids right here. He comes out, and everybody just whistles and cheers and everything. And he kind of goes, and that kind of takes the audience, right? And, and they don't stop until he goes like that, right? So, right, so that's what we're going to do with me, right? Because <laughs> yeah, I deserve it, fuck it. And then, right, and then, right, what he does is he's doing the coolest thing. You know, like in Alan Partridge, right? How he, he does a bad gag and, and he gets a drum roll, you know, and as if to say that there's a gag, you know. And, and it's like a joke on that being so daft. Well, David Letham does that for real, right? So I thought we'd try to do that tonight, right? So, what's your name? Hi. Hi. <laughs> and the usual name, but you know, we'll work with that. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, hi. Uh, you can be my musical director, and I've got my own uh, Yamaha home drum machine here. <laughs> Every time I do a punch show, I want you to give a little drum roll like this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try it. Oh, punch line. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Ringo star down here. <laughs> okay, so what we're going to do is I'm going to go off in a minute and you're going to do all that kind of going wild shit. And every time I do a punchline, we're going to roll. Beautiful. Okay, so here we go.
edit. So yeah, you can hear that, that you, there is a job of work to be done there at the beginning of the show, trying to get the thing feeling like it's a comedy gig. Sounds like a fairly nice size audience though. What was the... Well, we used to, we, we were in a decent sized room and we could fit, I mean, I think when we first started, we would call 100 people a sellout. We would probably be getting normally between 60 and 80 or something like that. But then, yeah, but then when we, when it grew, it got to the point where some weeks we were kind of fitting 120 and or more than that. And, and in fact, we used to have a queue outside and we'd have to turn people away at, mm-hmm. at the end. I mean, not, not all the way through the season. There were certain times of year where it was busier. It was always, what, about Easter time, it would always drop off. I don't know why, but it, but it always would. And then it would come back at the beginning of the summer where we'd have Edinburgh previews with people like Phil Jupiter's coming along. Slightly bigger acts than we yeah. could really afford would come and do the whole show. Okay. Um, Can you remember from, so from playing Cracker, the, the flyers that we've been looking at, what their sort of... Because you don't get a sense from this. That's what you don't really get a sense from from flyers is how how big a venue it was and how many people would attend. Well, actually, I remember those gigs really well. It was actually a great gig. I'm ninety nine percent sure that this particular because I play different venues for Nick, but this particular gig was in a trendy cafe called the Java Cafe. That's correct because it's on the thing. But from what I remember, it had like a glass frontage. So people walking past on the street could see okay. what you were doing, which was weird. And I don't think it would have been as big as that. I think that maybe you're dealing with an audience of probably, I don't know, maybe 30 to 70. But it didn't mean that it wasn't a good gig. It was a really nice gig to play. And in fact, on one of those occasions, I think it was this one where, okay, <laughs> I'm going to make you read out what it <laughs> says here. It says, Saturday, June 3rd. Two comedic giants, Roger Monkhouse and Oliver Double. Comedic giant! <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I think it was on that occasion that um, it, it just sometimes when you do comedy, it just works and the audience really like you and everything works really well. And I think what happened was for some reason they made me come back on and do an encore and I hadn't really got anything to do. So what I did was I try. I just basically described the joke that I'd enjoyed on The Simpsons. I didn't pretend it was my own joke. I said, I saw this great joke on The Simpsons, this happened. And then they kind of went, ah, that's kind of funny, but we could have watched that on The Simpsons. I went, bye. <laughs> uh, they didn't resent me for it, but yeah, it's probably not my finest hour. It says here, by the way, going back to the point that I wasn't a straight stand-up, it's, it, it's got a quote here, a genuine quote, it's often the independent. I was independent. going to ask, actually. Yeah. It, it says, uh, one extraordinary performance artist, which was, uh, we got a review in Edinburgh, and it described the show as being three stand-ups and one extraordinary performance artist, which was me, because mm-hmm. all the rest were straight stand-ups. Um, actually, just while we're on this, uh, looking at the bill, this is quite funny. Uh, you've got a gay Irish Catholic comic, Hugh Grant. <laughs> Presumably not the same yeah, guy. We were talking about graphic design, and this is the last thing that we've got from from Nick. Um, so, what what's the date for this one? This will be 1995, so it's July through to September. So this one's 95 as well. Yeah. So it's just after the last hand drawn one. And what's different about this one? Oh, it's word processed. So it's literally literally just after. Um, it's a different comedy club. So it's Cork's Comedy Club as opposed to all with K's. Cork's Comedy Club, as opposed to Cracker. Um, yeah, and it's a completely different feel. It's it's um, word process. So you've got some nice use of different fonts. Um, yeah, lots of different fonts going on, and clip art kind of style 
things, arrows. You see, I would say that that's been done a lot quicker by Nick. I don't think it would have taken him nearly as long to do that as it did to do these hand-drawn ones. And although it, it sort of looks more professional because it's cleaner, it's printed, it's proper fonts, I would say it's far less attractive. Mm. I, think, I think there's something to do with graphic design that happens when somebody who's not a trained graphic designer gets hold of a ton of fonts and they just put any old crap on there and um, you know what ends up happening is that there's no kind of visual unity whereas I think with this although it's very varied and anarchic it what comes across is anarchy like visual anarchy whereas with this it's like visual confusion I think it's interesting as well to see you know, who, who's on the bill there, because you've got people, again, who are well-known now. Brendan Burns is there. And you've got people who are sadly no longer with us. Ho Hovis Presley, who's described described there as the new Henry Normal. Uh, Hovis was a, was a great act, a very deadpan, um, sort of northern, miserablest poet, um, but very funny. Um, his opening poet poem was extraordinary. He, he would sort of basically... Um, he, he would he would start off with it. It would be a kind of disappointed love poem. So he would he would quite eloquently and in quite sort of uh, flowery language describe his upset at the end of this relationship. Um, and then he say, "But there is just one thing I have to say to you. Your boyfriend's a gormless twat." And it was it just got a huge laugh because it's just the kind of it's bathos, isn't it? It's going from the sublime to the ridiculous. But he just did it really, really well, performed it well, written well, and it's very northern and and uh, very specific, I think, to this kind of work. And um, sadly, he died a number of years ago. And I really wish that I'm not don't think that, I'm not sure there are any recordings of him, which is a massive shame because. Um, he was a very funny act. He, I did used to have a book of his poems that he gave me, and he'd signed it in the front, Love from Hove. <laughs> like, Hove, short for Hovis. <laughs> OK, anyway, um, so that's, that's uh, Nick Tokshek's Comedy Flyers. Of course, this podcast isn't just about us telling you things. It, there are also various ways you can get involved. Get involved! There are various ways you can get involved in the podcast, but first you'll need to know our email address. It's standup, all one word, no hyphen, at kent.ac.uk. Or you can contact us using social media. The first way you can get involved is by going to our catalogue, and you can find the website address for that on our social media. Look at the catalogue, pick out a comedy object, and uh, let us know what that is. And then we will talk about that object in a future episode. You could also come into the British Stand Up Comedy Archive at the University of Kent. We are open to everyone. That includes your general person interested in comedy, academic researchers, students, journalists. Um, come in, look at some material for yourself. Um, you could even record a short audio piece about one of the objects or records that you've seen and send it to us and we can feature it in a future episode. And the final and stupidest way of getting involved is record your own cover version of our theme tune, send it to us, and if we like it, we'll use it in a future episode. A History of Comedy and Several Objects is devised and presented by Dr Oliver Double and Elspeth Miller for the British Stand-Up Comedy Archive, brought to you by the University of Kent. This is made possible by the University of Kent's Public Engagement Research Fund. Photography by Matt Wilson and editing and production by Matt Hulse.